This is Ed Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was the Illinois treasurer, Michael Ferrix. Michael is in his second term as the treasurer of the state of Illinois. Actually, the treasurer's office predates Illinois' incorporation in 1818, and Mr. Ferrix is the 74th person to serve in this role. The treasurer is the state's chief investment and banking officer. The office invests money on behalf of the state and local units of government, and it actively manages more than $30 billion a year. Treasurer Ferrix pointed out that we are at a critical point in state government with the need for fundamental change, both in the state and across the country. He says the treasurer's office cannot solve all of Illinois' problems, but our core responsibility investing, we are doing very well. Under Treasurer Farrick's leadership, the return on investments have increased from $49 million to $318 million in 2018. This helps us begin to pay down our unpaid balances. He talked about several programs that are very important to Illinois residents. The college savings plans that will allow people to begin to think as well as attend college and put folks on a pathway to success. He talked about the fact that in 2015, 375,000 families were involved in college savings plans. Under his leadership, the number has increased to 650,000. He talked about a program called Secure Chance. One-third of Illinois retirees are dependent on Social Security for retirement. Under Treasurer Farrick's program, workers can save their own money and do it with dignity. They can take retirement with them as they travel from job to job. Finally, he talked about unclaimed property. There are many individuals who have money owed to them by the state of Illinois. 60,000 people will receive checks possibly in the coming months, pumping $12 million into the Illinois economy. Over four years, the records for unclaimed property claims have increased dramatically, and the amount of money returned has gone from thousands to one quarter of a billion dollars. All the programs emanating from the treasurer's office, he said, are not handouts. But using a football phrase, they are handoffs to allow people to grow, develop, and prosper. The challenge that it faces us is to become a change agent. Work with our families and children and make sure that they get a good return on their tax dollars. And before Treasurer Ferrix mounts our podium and speaks, I'd like to ask Skinny Sheehan, who we all know from the Special Olympics. Um, it's one of the organizations that the City Club works with. He's probably going to try to convince you to participate in the Polar Plunge in a couple of months, but he wants to say a few words. Skinny? Hey, thank you very much, Ed. Um, I would just like to thank uh, Jay Doherty, Ed Mazur, all the people from the City Club. What we do in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois with Special Olympics, we can never do it without a partner like the City Club of Chicago. City Club of Chicago has a long list of partnerships, but the one with uh, Special Olympics is very special. And uh, finally, I do want to say I want to thank our speaker today, uh, Mr. Ferricks, the treasurer. Last year, he jumped in the lake after we got the ice out of the way. He did the polar plunge for us. He has been very helpful two Special Olympics and people with special needs. He put a plan together, and we worked with him, a plan called ABLE, which is kind of like a college fund. You know how the state has these college funds that you can pay to? But it's for, uh, you can set it up for a child with, it, uh, with disabilities. He worked with 13 other states, and now I think there's more that have joined. It's a national program. It's very, very successful and very helpful especially when a parent has a child that becomes 22 years of age. There's nothing there for them, but you can set up a plan. So I just want to thank Mike, and I want to thank him for his support with Special Olympics. And I also want to thank Ed, and I want to thank Jay Doherty and all the people from the City Club. They've been great to Special Olympics. Thank you very much. Thank you, Skinny.
Treasurer Mike, we're ready for you. Remember, if you have any questions, fill them out on those blue forms, and we'll handle that later. I'd say it's orange. Blue. Possible, say it's orange blue. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. These uh, these microphones don't extend, but does my voice reach out to you all? Okay. Thank you, Bora. So it is a pleasure to be here today, and it's a pleasure to have this job as Illinois State Treasurer. My name is Mike Ferrix, I'm the Illinois State Treasurer. Sometimes when I tell people how much I love my job, they look at me funny. You know, sort of like when you go to visit a friend in the hospital and they're all broken up and you say, how are you feeling? And they say, never been better. And you look at the nurse and say, I want what drugs you're giving that person. <laughs> because they see how the body is broken. In the state of Illinois, like our government is sick. Now, I believe you don't abandon your friends when they are sick. You help to lift them up. And we have a lot of work to do. See, <clears throat> some people are shocked to hear that when they visit a friend, um, they might <clears throat> say they've never been better. When I say this, it's because we've got great opportunities in this state. And I'm given an opportunity every day to help out the state that I grew up in and the state that I love. See, people see the unpaid bills. They see the unfunded liabilities in our pension system. They see arrests and indictments, elected officials, and they wonder, how can you love your job? They sometimes will ask me, have we begun uh, to legalize recreational cannabis yet, and what strain are you smoking? <laughs> and I tell you, I'm not smoking anything. I realize I have a great opportunity here. And I believe that happiness is a choice you make every day. Every day we make a choice. We can obsess about the many things that are outside of our control, or we can focus on the things within our control. And if we all do that, I believe we will see results. We'll move the needle in the right directions, and that's something that brings me happiness. So I'll let you know I'm not smoking anything today. <laughs> now, I'm not telling you that everything is fine in state government. We're at a critical point here in Illinois, and in Washington, D.C., and across the world. We cannot continue like we have been. It is time for fundamental change in our state capital and our nation's capital. But today, rather than focusing on and obsessing on the problems out there, I'm going to challenge you to take a more tangible role in creating that change we need. First, let's look at where we are. A Gallup poll taken in 2015 showed that 75% of Illinoisans we're not confident in their state government. This may not surprise a lot of people. 75%. Now, a Pew Research poll shows that 66% of adults think other Americans have little or no confidence in the federal government. Unsurprisingly, a study found this lack of trust in government and each other makes it harder to solve our nation's key problems. However, there is good news out there. Fully 84% believe the level of confidence of Americans have in the federal government can be improved. And 86% think improvement is possible when it comes to the confidence other Americans have in each other. Now, what this tells me is there is a pathway to turn things around here in Illinois and in Washington, D.C. People already know that change is needed. What we need are leaders who will lead by example. So regardless of your political leanings, I suspect most of you here today would agree that the tweeting, the name-calling, the yelling is not the way to do that. Sadly, some people just can't help themselves. Some bomb throwers throw these bombs out of political calculus, and some people, it's just simply who they are. Now, if we ask individuals about politics and government in Illinois today... I have every belief that each and every one of them are disappointed in the politics of the day. Some might even say that they're disgusted. If we want to turn Illinois around, we have to show people that there is reason for optimism. Show people that their interests are being considered and show people that they are not fighting alone. Show people that not only are there reasons to stay in Illinois, but there are reasons to be optimistic about our future. I know 
the Treasurer's Office, we cannot solve all of our state's problems. But just because we can't solve all of the problems is not an excuse to give up and do nothing. We can all make a difference. And if we do, I think we can set an example for others to follow. It has been clear for a while that revenues have not matched expenses in our state. So in our office, we focused on what we could do. In our office, we started with our core responsibilities. We started with investing the public's money where we've seen significant improvements. The year before I was sworn into office, the Treasurer's Office brought in $49 million in interest to the state. We thought we could do better. We lengthened our weighted annual maturity of our investments. We asked the General Assembly to allow us to invest in new asset classes. We turned over couch cushions. And this last year, we brought in $318 million in interest. I want to thank... I want to thank my staff for making that happen. You know, this will not solve... Yes, thank you. Make sure the staff knows. $318 million is not going to pay down all of our backlog of bills, but it will help us to begin pay them down more quickly. Now, we have other problems in our state. Workforce. We know that we need to have a more highly educated workforce to compete with other states. We know that more and more students are graduating with crushing burdens of debt on their shoulders when they leave college. Now, not only do college savings accounts help pay for college, they help to inspire students to attend college. A student who knows that they have a college savings account in their name is three times more likely to attend college. So five years ago, when my team came into office, we made a commitment to, one, make sure that more people know about the investment tools we have out there, and to two, to make sure these accounts are a better value for Illinois families. In fact, the changes we made caused independent analyst Morningstar to rate each of our programs among the best in the country. Thank you. You can, you can, you can take this message back and maybe next year they'll buy a table at this event. I'll, I'll plug them again if they buy a table next year. Yes. Well, they say this, this bears repeating, not just because of the applause line. It's not too, ha- too often you hear the words Illinois and rating upgrade used in the same sentence. But it is possible. Uh, the safest thing to do in politics is to do what your predecessors did. It's hard to blame someone for doing what people have done in the past. But the safe route will never get us to where we need to go. We told our college investment partners, partners they needed to do more. We told them we needed better options, we needed lower fees, and we needed more participants. We needed more working class families saving to give their kids a brighter future. And they told us it couldn't be done. Now, I told our investment partners they needed to find a way to get it done or we would find new partners. And that's what we did. We ended with a new partner for our Bright Start program, and we cut fees in half. Then we were rewarded by a double rating upgrade from Morningstar. We went from bronze to gold, I think the only time that we've seen a double rating upgrade at one time. And we now had three years in a row as gold rated, one of the best programs in the country. So what happens when we do that? You know, our firm told us we couldn't cut the fees, we couldn't make the program work if we cut fees. What we found is when we did, when we got that rating upgrade, we grew the pie. And it was really a win-win for everybody. In January of 2015, when I was sworn in as treasurer, there were about 375,000 college savings accounts in the state of Illinois, with about $7 billion in assets. Today, those numbers look a little different. Today, there are 650,000 college savings accounts with an estimated value of $12 billion. And once again, this happens because of my staff. That Pew survey shows that people are open to change. We must show people these stories because change is needed now in Illinois. Now, it's not always enough to just look at what you have and make it better. That's good. We should always be striving for constant improvement in our programs. You know, Robert Kennedy once said, some men see things the way they are and ask why. 
I dream things that never were and ask why not. And so when we see problems out there just because we haven't tackled them in the past is no excuse to sit on the sidelines and do nothing today. We have a retirement crisis here in this country. Consider this. The median retirement savings for working age households is $5,000. You cannot have a retirement with dignity on $5,000. You will not enjoy your golden years if that is your nest egg. Also consider this. One third of Illinois retirees rely on Social Security for 90% of their retirement. One third. 90% of their retirement income comes from Social Security, a plan that was designed to augment, not to replace, retirement savings. Ladies and gentlemen, these good people will need your help when they can no longer work. And you will help. You will help because your tax dollars will make sure these good people have a place to live, have food to eat, and have medicine to treat their ills. Your income taxes that are sent to Springfield, a portion of it will pay for those safety net programs. The property taxes you pay, certainly for your township, likely to your city and county, will also pay for safety net programs. Now, we know that workers are 15 times more likely to save for retirement when their employer offers a retirement savings tool. So what is the solution to that problem? Our answer was a new workplace retirement savings option. Secure choice. As a simple, laudable critically important goal to allow workers to save their own money so they can retire with dignity. Instead of a retirement tool tied down to a specific employer, Secure Choice will allow workers a retirement vehicle that will travel with them as they may change jobs. I think it's okay to talk a little bit about it now, but most people have overlooked how contentious this fight really was when we set this up. The special interests lambasted the proposal. They claimed, falsely in my opinion, that there was already a private sector answer to the solution for the retirement savings crisis. Well, if a solution truly existed, we wouldn't have a retirement savings crisis, would we? A solution existed for people of higher income, but for lower incomes, they were really left without. The treasurer's office was tasked with standing up secure choice. Now that, setting up a brand new program can be a big lift under many circumstances, but when you sprinkle in in 2015 a new treasurer, a new governor, a new comptroller from different parties, add in the unique personal dynamics on display at that time, and well, it made for an interesting challenge. (laughs) Suffice it to say, though, there were a lot of ideas and questions when the Secure Choice Board first met. What there was not a lot of was trust. It was at dangerously low levels and was desperately needed. Now, how do you build trust in your relationships? You build trust with one conversation at a time, one mutual agreement at a time, one accomplishment at a time. It does not happen overnight. But today, our Secure Choice program is a national model. Our guidance is sought not only by other states, but by other countries. We must, we cannot continue to run from our problems. Problems do not go away. Problems fester. Problems worsen. We know this, we are living this, and we need to stop this. In the summer of 2018, we started the Secure Choice pilot program. We created rolling enrollment deadlines so we could offer high-touch, intensive customer service to help employers and their workers. We just finished the last wave of enrollees. Businesses who do not offer a retirement plan and have between 25 and 99 workers. They can now join our Secure Choice program or choose a different option. And so far, the numbers are encouraging. We estimate a total of 2,400 employers have signed up, about 29,000 employees are saving who were not before, and a grand total investments at $6.9 million. We're going in the right direction. That's real progress. That's showing you. That's not telling you. That Pew Research tells us that people are open to change. We must show people these stories because they need to know that change is happening and is possible in Illinois. Now, through our college savings program, we offer a brighter future for students. We help put them on a pathway towards success. But not every parent has that luxury. As Skinny mentioned, there are some parents out there who have children with severe disabilities 
who aren't able to take care of themselves. Now, we all want to give our kids a brighter future, but there is a problem. If those children are relying on federal benefits, if they qualify for federal benefits, those benefits are means-tested. What that means is they can't have more than $2,000 in assets or they lose their support. $2,000. That means when a parent passes away, they can't leave something for their child. They're going to be entirely dependent on those federal benefits. So what is the solution? What do we do? We could sit and complain, or we could take action. Fortunately, in 2014, Congress passed, and the president signed into law, the ABLE Act, which essentially lifts the $2,000 limit threshold and raises it to $100,000. Families can save up to $100,000 in ABLE account without losing or risking their child's benefits. Now, the investment houses told us the similarity between a family saving for a children's future to attend college and a family saving for a child's future to accommodate disability um, <clears throat> end at family, child, and savings. Simply put, the number of families saving for college is significantly larger than the number of families saving for a child with a disability. These investment types told us that they could create an investment product that would be much more expensive than many of these families could afford. That was unacceptable to us. Now, we could have done as we could have yelled and we could have screamed. That would have been easy. We could have paraded frustrated families in front of television cameras to condemn greedy investment bankers. We could have held press conferences across the state. Now, this was back in 2015 and 2016, mind you. If you recall, press conferences demonizing political opponents were quite popular at the time, especially on the front lawns of suburban homeowners. Now, that probably would have made headlines. What would have not done, however, is solve the problem. See, those, these families don't need to be on the 6 o'clock news. What they needed was a solution. Illinois had this challenge, the size of our state. We figured other states might have this challenge as well. So we picked up the telephone and started calling around. Now, we needed to grow, we found we needed to grow the pool of potential investors to interest in money managers so we could create the economies of scale needed to help these families. We decided to do this together. We found other states that agreed. So I will tell you, our ABLE program now has the lowest fee, is the lowest fee ABLE program in the country. Thank you, but when, when you hear a politician stand in front of you and tell you my program is the best program in all of the country and I am the best negotiator, you should be a little skeptical. You should. But I will tell you, Illinois has the lowest fee program in the country because so does Iowa and so does Minnesota. And so does Indiana. And so does Rhode Island and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and North Carolina. So does Mississippi and Arkansas, Colorado, Alaska, Montana, Washington, D.C., I forgot them, Kansas. It's quite an eclectic group of states that all agreed that we could accomplish more by working together. Now, alone, Illinois could not offer a reasonable solution to that problem. But by recruiting now 15 states in the District of Columbia to create a national alliance, we create the numbers that it takes to make this program a success. Today in Illinois, there are over 1,000 ABLE accounts worth an estimated $6.5 million saved. Across the alliance, there are over 10,000 families now saving to give their kids a better future with an estimated value of about $60 million. It's a solution going in the right direction with much more to be done, and we're glad to have partners like Special Olympics to get the word out. Now, research tells us that people are open to change. We must show people stories like this so that they realize change is possible. So college savings, secure choice, and ABLE. Each program is designed to help people who want to help themselves. Each program is designed to help people save their own money for their own future. Working together to solve a problem, rather than pointing fingers and assessing blame, is what those 84% of Pew respondents need to see. It is what the 75% of Gallup respondents need to see. These are the programs that show government can invest in our people. Now, we also mentioned today unclaimed property. Let's talk about that. As many of you know, the only Treasurer's Office is the custodian of unclaimed property, including lost bank accounts, insurance policy proceeds, and forgotten safe deposit boxes. Now, iCash is a great program. However, one of the challenges we have for this program is convincing individuals 
to claim their own money. It seems there is some skepticism amongst Illinois residents towards state government. We send out letters to people's houses, the last known address. Imagine, what, what would some of you think if you went home and you got a letter in state of Illinois that says state of Illinois wants to give you $1,000? Sure. Scam. Scam. You might tear it up. That's what we find. It's still my job to get it to them, even if they throw out our letters. So we decided to think a little differently. We developed a program called Money Match. We have what we consider to be a simple, when, when we have a simple unclaimed property item, typically cash $2,000 or less, and only one owner, we leverage state tax data confirm that person's identity and where they live. And then we send them a check. That's right. We use the tax data the government already has, match it with our unclaimed property database, and initiate a claim and cut a check. Last year, we identified 63,000 unclaimed properties that qualified for the Money Match program, with a total value of more than $12 million. We pumped $12 million into the Illinois economy the taxpayers didn't know they had the right to. We're in the process of doing it again this year. Innovation does not always come in a big, flashy idea. Sometimes looking at a problem from a different perspective provides the elusive answer. Money Match builds on smaller but no less meaningful changes that we injected into the unclaimed property system. So during the past several years, we've made filing claims easier, we've made our approval process faster and more efficient, and we have instituted a paperless system for certain claims. Together, when you add up these improvements, we have shattered records for unclaimed property returned in each of the past four years. In my first full year in office, we fulfilled approximately 53,000 claims. The next year, we returned 58,000 claims. Then we started getting creative, made some change, and the following year, we doubled that number to 116,000. That was so much fun, we decided to double it again and returned 236,000 claims last year. And in terms of dollars out there, when I came in, we returned $150 million that first year. This year, we almost reached a quarter of a billion dollars. This is what happens when you think differently. I'm not going to claim we're going to do that again next year. I'm not sure we're going to double it again next year, but we're going to try. We've increased the amount of money we return every year. Now, everything in unclaimed property is not that easy. You're always that positive. Those of you who know me, I don't go looking for fights. It's not my style personally. It's not my style politically. However, that doesn't mean we walk away from fights when we run into one either. We found out that some life insurance companies refused to pay death benefits when they knew or should have known that their policyholders had passed away. We challenged them. Now, I bring up the life insurance fight for two reasons. It was an extremely visible campaign that naturally featured big businesses taking advantage of small families who could not fight for themselves. But I also bring it up because the state treasury plays a significant role in protecting consumers here in this state. Most people don't know that. Most people don't know that there are people in government who really are trying to do the right thing because doing the right thing rarely makes big headlines. And we must change that. We must inform people. It's not enough for people inside and outside the arena to bemoan bad actors. We must show that there's a pathway out of this swamp be it Springfield, D.C., or your own town. Now, I think that some people would agree that not only does government need to change, there are an increasingly large number of Americans who believe that corporate culture needs to change as well. Many young Americans believe that corporations are making decisions that are not good for the environment or for society. And I would agree with them on many of those points. But I would add that in many cases, they are also making bad decisions for their long-term shareholders. Let me explain. Too many corporations have been given, have been given incentives to their C-suite that reward short-term profits over long-term sustainability of their businesses. Too often, decisions are made that look good for the next quarterly earnings report, but come at the expense of long-term sustainability. Let me give you an example that people seem to understand. There are some companies out there that were pushing opioids on Americans. I told them, this will solve your pain problems, they're not addictive. Well, we now know that's not true. Many Americans became addicted. And quite frankly, it was a great business strategy in the short run. You get people 
addicted to your product, and they will keep buying and buying and buying. What a great short-term strategy. Except in the long term, when those people die off, you're going to be subject to lawsuits. You're going to be subject to legislative risk when the federal government decides to change their rules. You're going to be subject to reputational risk because some people will say, I don't want to work with drug dealers who are killing Americans. And then you're going to see in cases like Purdue Pharma, companies going bankrupt. That is not a long-term sustainable practice. So why does the state treasurer care about this? Because when we help people invest for college, for their retirement, or we help with the pension funds, we're not day trading. People are investing on a 10, 20, or 30-year horizon. And as a fiduciary, I have an obligation to look out for their long-term interests. Now, when we vote on corporate board seats or resolutions, we're looking at additional risk factors that more than are traditionally employed. We believe that when corporations do this, when they look at these additional risk factors, they not only align with lots of our values, but they're creating sustainable value for the company. And there are a growing number of voices in the sustainable investing space show that these factors must be considered. Today, there are more than $20 trillion in assets under management in the sustainable investment space. We can all create the change we want. Sometimes we just have to look to do it in different ways and in different places. Equally important is how we invest in our state. Certainly the programs I mentioned previously, such as College Savings and ABLE and Secure Choice, are vehicles that help us to invest in people. More importantly, these programs allow us to invest in people who want to invest in themselves. In order for them to participate, we must show them that change is possible. We must engage with them, we must show them, we must convince them. As I said at the beginning, I want to speak to you today about change about demanding a new day here in Illinois, about showing people why that new day is possible and recruiting them to our cause. We talked about identifying a problem and creating a solution. We offered ways to help families save for college, to help workers save for their retirement, to help families with children with disabilities invest for a brighter future. It is important to note that there are no handouts here, only hand-ups. Each family is saving their own money for their own future. We talked about protecting consumers through the the headline-grabbing life insurance payments and through drug pushers draped in lab coats. We spoke about core changes to our approach in investing that allowed us for an increase in ROI. We also invite more diverse people to do business with the state of Illinois. And each, I honestly believe, are tangible examples of how government can work for people if we can convince the 84% and the 75% that there are, in fact, good people that walk the halls in public service. That pathway starts with everyone here in this room. And my challenge to you all is simple. Be a change agent. This is not a voyage to Mecca. You don't need, I'm not asking for the moon. Instead, every day, each day, Be a change agent, because Illinois is worth it. Our families are worth it. Our children are worth it. We all live in this great state because of the hard work that people, hard work and time and resources put in before us, the sacrifices they made to leave us with a good day. There's an old quote that I'd like to paraphrase to live here, to leave before I leave here, that we have all warmed ourselves by fires we did not light. We've all drunk from wells we did not dig. We have all cooled ourselves in the shade of trees we did not plant. So I encourage you all, go out and light some new fires. Dig some wells, plant some trees, and we will have a better future. Thank you all very much. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Your favorite side, Thank you, Michael. Sure. Your time for a few Q&A. And if anyone else, I see some other blue forms going up. Now, did you learn that uh, quote that you ended with? You went to, you're a Fisher Bunny, right? Wasn't that the high school you went to? Other side of Rantoul. Other Ran- side of Rantoul. Rantoul High School, I grew up in. Rantoul, okay. I knew it was close. Okay. This is from... Maura O'Hara. Maura O'Hara. Where are you, Maura? Okay. Now, you're not a city club member, but we don't hold that against you. But 
you're going to be working on your taxes soon. Join the city club. Tax deductible donation, okay? Great. Now, let's see if we can read her handwriting. Handicap likelihood of each lever being pulled to address shortfall. Service cuts, benefit cuts, tax increases. Oh, for the pension shortfall. Okay, deal right. with that non-controversial so, pension great. problem. So in terms of benefits being cut, um, I think you have a difficulty because of Supreme Court rulings. In terms of tax increases, I don't think you're going to see it immediately, although Governor Prisker said that if we can get the fair tax passed next fall, some of that new increased revenue will go towards paying down our pensions. So that'll be good. But as I said, you know, we can all sit around and bemoan the state of our pension underfunding. I mean, it'd be really easy, be really easy to become depressed. But I will applaud the governor for taking initiative, at least for our police and fire pensions around the state, many of which are woefully underfunded. They're sometimes inefficiently run, working to consolidate them. And I believe just about an hour and a half ago, the Senate passed 4217 uh, pension consolidation. What that will do is that will save on costs. You know, every one of these 649 pensions around the state has their own consultants, their own investment managers, they have their own lawyers. I think we can achieve benefit economies of scale by bringing them all together. We can cut down on some of those expenses. And I think that when we're investing a much larger pool and we have access to additional investment classes, I think we can achieve a better return than a small town that's managing a $15 million fund. So that's sort of the idea out there. And I can say that, and I believe it very strongly, because that's what we do for these municipalities through our Illinois Funds program. We pool assets from units of government throughout the state. In the city of Chicago, there's a city treasurer who manages the city's funds. But a lot of these smaller towns, it would be inefficient for them to hire an investment professional to manage the 2 or $3 million sitting around in an account. But if they can turn that over to us, and we can do that with lots of units of government. We oversee about $6 billion. That allows us access to investment classes they might not have on their own and allows us to earn a higher rate of return than they could on their own. And what that means is when we help them to make more money in interest, those are more dollars they don't have to raise in property taxes or fewer dollars in cuts that they have to make for things like essential services. So uh, if, you were, if we were to do this, would this help uh, avoid uh, something like the uh, Dixon tragedy of several years ago? Uh, for those who don't know, there is a city in Illinois, Dixon, where an um, appointed official absconded with about $52 million over the course of 20 years. Um, I would say that if they gave their money management over to the treasurer's office, uh, we would help them with that. But really, I just believe that if you have proper checks and balances... If you have people looking over each other's shoulders, if you have good auditors, uh, you should be able to avoid these issues, and hopefully some lessons have been learned. Great. Okay, this is from City Club member Don Schellenberger with Baird & Warner. It's a very important question, because some of us are going to be looking for those letters in the mail. How do you determine the person to whom you are mailing checks is the right person to be receiving the check? Great. So um, we have about $3 billion in unclaimed property. We returned last year returned $12 million. That's $12 million that wasn't being claimed. That's good. We have to find that the claims are clean, that we have access to a Social Security number to make sure it's the right person because a lot of people have the same first and last name. But what we do before we mail the checks is mail a letter to them. We mail a letter saying, we have unclaimed property for you. Look at the name, look at the address, confirm this is you, uh, the check will be coming. All you have to do is cash it. We do that for two reasons. One, because it lets them know that this is in fact coming from the state and is legitimate. And two, if for some reason they no longer live at that address and the mail is returned to us, we don't mail the check. So that's how we confirm that someone still lives there. But this, we get this because I'm assuming you all are upright citizens, correct? Absolutely. And if you're not, you're, you're not going to admit that publicly here. You pay your taxes. When you pay your taxes, you put down your name, your social security number, your address, and you sign that under penalty of law that you live there. 
So when we work with the Department of Revenue, we have it on pretty good authority that you do, in fact, live that address. Okay. Uh, this is from Karen or Harvard Allen. Haven. Haven. Haven Allen. You know all these people. Are these? I met some people before. These are loaded questions. Okay. They went over it last night before they came here. Okay. It's a good question, though. How can ICGIF support and foster non-digital based startups? Thus far, the investments have nearly all gone to VC firms that focus on digital tech. This is leaving out most of the economy. Okay, so um, ILGIF, we call ILGIF, our Illinois Growth and Innovation Fund, builds on a program passed, I think, under Judy Bartopinka, Technology Development Accounts. So the idea behind this is fairly simple. When the state of Illinois is investing money, we can invest in California, we can invest in Mexico, we invest in China, we can invest in Illinois. And when we invest in Illinois, we make interest. This program is not a grant. It's not giving away money. We're making money. Our good friends at 50 South with Northern Trust help us out with this. Thank you, Jackie. Um, But when we help grow companies, but then hire new people that pay them good wages, the state has a double dividend in terms of taxes paid. So the original legislation put a focus on investing in Illinois. It was a focus on technology. Now, with TDA2, the uh, growth was, or the, our options were expanded a little bit in terms of where we could invest. But we invest in venture capital. We invest in private equity. We're looking to get good returns, but to also make sure we're investing in Illinois. Now, uh, we'll be happy to talk with you. We'll be happy to talk with our friends at uh, 50 South about that mix of where in, we're investing. Um, but if you're asking me where we need to invest to get the greatest returns, then you have elected the wrong person. Uh, it's not, not my job. We work with professionals out there, people who are risking their own capital to get a return. And so we rely and trust on them, but we're happy to talk with you because our friends at, uh, at Northern Trust, they're receptive. They listen to us. So we'll talk, Haven. Yep. When Frerichs talks, Northern Trust listens. Okay. This is from <laughs> Professor... Nick Kacharobis from DePaul University. Under the pending municipal pension reform legislation, how much, if any, control will local units of government have in the investment risk of the portfolios? And will your office have any role with this? That's a great question. Of course, he's from DePaul. I wish I knew all the answers to so, uh, although I said I support the pension consolidation because, in principle, it is, is the right thing to do. We were involved at various stages in helping to craft this. But, you know, every good plan, you know, no good military plan survives the first engagement with the enemy. And something you said, no piece of legislation survives the first engagement with the General Assembly. Because no, other people, and it's true, they sh- we should. We have a process where we solicit input. And so police and fire representatives had a chance for input. Municipal, uh, municipalities, IML had a chance for input. And it made, there were a lot of changes made, even with amendments coming just a couple of days ago. So to really answer your question, I would need to see the final piece of legislation as it passed. We had some role in it, uh, but I'm not sure going forward uh, how that survived engagement with the General Assembly. Okay, so you've had a couple of real tough questions. Here's a real doozer, Mr. Treasurer. This is from... Todd Sholath, who's with the village of Barrington. Where are you, Todd? Wait, right over there. Good. City Club member. He wants to know, how far out into Lake Michigan did you have to go before the water was overhead during the polar plunge? <laughs> Good question. I, I can tell you, I've gone out in the summertime, and it's quite some distance. Um, but it's going to tell you, this last year was so cold, the lake was frozen, I think they had to use bulldozers to push the ice out of the way. I mean, I could have walked for miles out into Lake Michigan on top of the ice flows. But they want you to actually plunge, so they take bulldozers and push it. But even then, I think it probably, the most you could have walked in before the uh, paramedics and the fire department would stop you 
might have been 30 or 40 feet. And so the plunge was really just a walk out and uh, drop down on your hands and knees or sit down uh, to soak yourself. Um, my, my staff enjoyed this. They, uh, they got a nice picture of me. And uh, they right at that moment where the, where the cold water hits you and it looks like you're screaming uh, because I was. <laughs> If you've never done it, it's an interesting experience. And it's not always 18 degrees no. outside. No, sometimes, sometimes it's minus sometimes 10. It's 30s. Yeah. When uh, the late Paul Green, my predecessor as City Club Chair, and I did it several years ago, we got, there. there's a warming house. You know, you take off your clothes. You then decide how much you're going to keep on. You wait until Skinny and his team from Special Olympics says, it's your turn. Then Paul said, we've got our gym shoes on, our socks our bathing suit, we run in up to our knees. Then we turn around and come back while everybody's running by us. Then we went home and spent the afternoon with our new friend, Johnny Walker. It was great. <laughs> Anyhow, something everybody should do. Uh, this is from City Club member Kate Moylan Minnie. Kate, where are you? Right over there. Great. What are your thoughts on 5G? and the communities where it will be rolled out. Hinsdale, Western Springs, Schomburg, Naperville. I'm the chief investment officer for the state of Illinois. <laughs> I'm not the chief technology officer. Uh, no one asked me about this. And uh, as my staff will tell you, uh, if you were voting for me to be your chief technology officer, you made the wrong vote. Uh, I unfortunately don't have much to add there. Because this is the first time hearing about this. <laughs> next, next year I'll have an answer. Next year when Morningstar has a table here, I will answer that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of Morningstar, Madeline Hume. Where are you, Madeline? Over there. She's not a city club member, but you have that rare opportunity to have Morningstar become one of our corporate members, and you'll have your own table, as you do now. But... Treasure, look at this. Look at this printing. Pen, penmanship. It's penmanship. Unlike I have not seen in She's years. She's unbelievable. What parochial school did you go to? Okay. What do you see as the most important initiative for Illinois' college savings plans over the next five years? Okay. Great question. Um, and I'll just say that it looks like Morningstar already has a fifth of a table. We just need four more fifths. You know, I would like to, I'd like to think, you know, you, uh, you hire good people, you set a vision for them, you give them the resources they need to do their job, and then, like, stay out of their way. And my staff, that's what I did. And they created a program that Morningstar now rates as two of the best programs in the country. So what could we do to improve upon this? Um, it's really kind of tough to figure out. We're always open to suggestions for improvements. But the real answer is we need to sign up more families. You know, you can, it's nice. We have, we have signs on some of our doors right now. Uh, three years, three gold stars in a row. We're very proud of that. It's nice to pat yourself on the back. But we don't do this for the accolades. We do this to help people in the state. And if we create the best programs in the country... But no one hears about them. No one signs up for them. We really haven't done our job. So one of the other things we've done is try to figure out how we can get more people to sign up. When I came into office, we had a slogan. It's a good day. What does that mean? The idea was a good day to start saving for college. They had nice pictures of, uh, of little kids. and they were, they were really pretty ads. And then we held focus groups. And found it didn't really move the needle on anyone. You know, today is a nice day to start saving for college, but you know what tomorrow will be? That'd be a nice day too. <laughs> Next week, that'd be a pretty good day to start saving too. You know, unfortunately, we've found in our polling and our focus groups is you know what really moves people to save for their kids' college education? What's that? Fear. Fear. Hopefully, they didn't come from one of my employees. <laughs> I think it came from Barbie over there. What <laughs> Fear. And so now we changed our marketing. So we've done two big things. One, we've instilled a little more fear. So you show the same cute kids saying, I want to be a doctor. And then you say, for Sally to become a doctor, you'll need $450,000. That scares parents. You know? <laughs> little Johnny says, I want to be an astronaut. 
it's going to cost $370,000 for Johnny to become an astronaut. And what we find is when you put those messages out in front of people on social media, and we do a much better job of targeting people now. You know, we have a lot of ad campaigns, but you know, for all the problems with Facebook, they, they do really let us pick people who have kids of a certain age. And we target them. When that pops up, you can see the click rate increases dramatically when you have a message of fear. So one, when you do things differently to sign up more families. But two, I want to change the mix of people who are signing up for college savings accounts. And I've talked about this here at City Club before. But when I came into office, it was clear we were marketing towards affluent families. And it makes sense. They're the ones with money. You know, but I wasn't elected treasurer to make sure that the wealthy have a tax break for their, to send their kids to college. Because they're probably, in many cases, going to have the resource to send them anyway. What I want to do is to make sure that more lower clubs lower class, middle class, working class families are saving for the kids' college education. These are people who think that it's not a possibility for them. They think that, well, we can't save enough, so let's not save anything. But research has shown that saving a little makes a big difference. You know, I said that it makes a, a college, the existence of a college savings account makes it three times more likely that a kid goes to college than a kid who doesn't have one. And the reason is not the number of dollars, it's the message you're sending. You know, when you look at a kid and tell them, I've opened a college savings account for you, what they're hearing is, you're smart. You are college material. I believe in you. And when kids feel that someone believes in them, that someone has invested in them, and they see a path, they're much more likely to reach their goals. You know, when you set the bar high for young people, they don't always reach it, but they're often reaching for it. And too often we set the bar low for our young people, and they reach that as well. Now, when I uh, was growing up, my parents didn't go to college. My grandparents didn't attend high school. My parents didn't save a dime for college. And when I got into college, my dad's uh, statement was, good for you, but you ain't going. You know, I'd worked really hard. I had people push me. Four years later, I graduated from college. But I tend to think, and the reason I take this so seriously and why I'm answering this question in a lengthy way is my hope is that you all go out and spread the gospel of uh, college savings and sign up people, is because I know that there is talent out there spread evenly amongst socioeconomic classes. But unfortunately, our college too often are filled with the sons and daughters of the most affluent. That's not right. We miss out on a society when we don't give kids who are smart and have the talent, the opportunities to go to college. And so we went to our investment advisor and said, you've got to change the way you market. I know it does not make as much financial sense for you to sign up a family uh, making $40,000 a year. Because they're not going to put a lot in. It makes a lot more sense a family with half a million dollars in income a year. You know, they're going to put a lot of money, you're going to make more, but that's not why I was elected. So a long-winded answer to your question, the most important thing we do in the next five years is to sign up more uh, working-class families to make sure their kids know that someone believes in them and that they have a future, bright future ahead of them. Thank you. Let's give the treasurer a big round of applause.